week, we introduced ourselves to Jeremiah. You guys ready to keep going? All right. So Jeremiah chapter one. Let me give you some, some of you that weren't here last week, some of you that uh, maybe forgot what we talked about last week. Let me refresh you and we'll catch up and then we'll keep going on. Uh, Jeremiah chapter one is when we're introduced to him, he gives us who he is and he also gives for us his uh, context in time. So in time, it is the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, the king of Judah, is when he begins his time of prophecy. I shared this with you last week. He's between the ages of 15 and 20. Most scholars go, would go even a little younger and say 15 to 18. So we know for sure he's under the age of 20 when he begins his ministry. He ministers until the 11th year of the reign of King Zedekiah. So that's where that's the amount of time that he, he spends ministry. That's about 40 years. So that's uh, 627 B.C. to 586 B.C. Um, so that, that's where, where you can find his time in, in the slot. So what's happening during this time is, I shared this with you last week, is a, uh, let me pull up the, the video. does it to me every time. There we go. <laughs> okay, so did you guys, I don't know if you guys just saw that, but it just reminded me, we, we first service, we had a pig in the, in the parking lot. That only happens in T County, okay? We, <laughs> and it was my son's pig. So, <laughs> so uh, fair week, right? So, uh, so uh, I shared this with you. I gotta, let me give you real quick uh, where we're at in history and what, where we're, uh, what's going on. So in, 14, in the 1400s, the Israelites come out of Egypt, and they're going into the Promised Land, and Joshua leads them over the, uh, through the Jordan River into Jericho, and they conquer it. And there's a time where they, they, they have a period of conquering, and then the next period is what we would call the period of Judges, and the, the book of Judges is where that all takes place. Great, great stuff in there. Uh, what, what we're actually going to do a series in Judges. Uh, and then Saul becomes king, David becomes king. Da and then David's son Solomon is uh, king uh, in the uh, 970 BC. So that's where we're that's at that point. After Solomon, the, the uh, Israel is split in two. You have the northern kingdom, which keeps the name Israel. The southern king kingdom becomes Judah. Now, Israel decides, hey, we want to team up and we want to take over Judah. So they team up with Syria and they uh, create an alliance and they're going to come after uh, Judah. But Isaiah, God speaks through Isaiah and says, hey, don't worry about that because the Assyrian Empire is coming in. And that's exactly what happens. The Assyrian Empire comes in, conquers uh, Israel, tries to attack uh, Jerusalem, but doesn't, uh, is not able to conquer Jerusalem, but takes over all of Jerusalem and they, get, uh, they deport the uh, people in Israel and take them to the Assyrian Empire. But then Nebuchadnezzar takes over and he comes in, defeats uh, the Assyrian ar uh, army in Nineveh. Then, in uh, 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 608, uh, 605, 612 BC, they come in, they take Judah, and they, there's three different deport, uh, deportations that they do. Daniel's one of them. So in that, that is when the, when the Assyrian army, so when Jeremiah begins prophesying, the Assyrian empire is in control. When he gets done prophesying, the Babylonian Empire is in control. So he's right on this cusp of this empire you know, transition. And so it's a time of crisis. Neither the Babylonians or the Assyrians are very nice to foreign countries. 
And we, we've got all this going on, and there's all this conflict, and the, the northern kingdom, who is relatives of the southern kingdom, wants to take, it's just craziness going on. And that's why we're kind of walking into this subject, is that in the moment of crisis, we have the same experience. We're going through a season of crisis. So what do we do in a transition? How do we operate? Now, Jeremiah writes... And he writes for 40 years. He prophesies to the kingdom of Judah and to the nation surrounding it for 40 years. And no one listens to him. The challenge I want is for us to look at Jeremiah and go, hey, what's the principles he was trying to lay out? And what should we be applying to our lives in the midst of crisis? So we've got all this is happening. And so this is where we we went. Then in Jeremiah chapter uh, 1 verse 4, we are uh, introduced to the call of Jeremiah the prophet. So it says that the Lord gave this message and God says, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you, I formed you, I set you apart, I appointed you. And so he's laying it out. And what, it, what is God doing here for Jeremiah? He's encouraging him. He's going, hey, I got you. I knew who you were. I knew what, you got, what, what season I was calling you to. I knew what time period I was calling you to. I am with you. You've got this. I've appointed you to the position of a prophet in this season. Now, real quick, because I didn't cover this well enough last week. Jeremiah's called to a prophet. That doesn't mean everybody's called to be a prophet. You are appointed, but you're appointed to your position. And your position is most likely where you're at. So your, your appointment right now is where you are. So if you are in the position of working in, in a factory, if you're working in, in a business, or if you're working selling insurance, or if, you're, uh, if you are in the position as a nurse, in the medical field, as a teacher, as a student, wherever you're at, that's your appointment. So you, God says, I, I'm there with you. I'm in the midst of this. So I'm going with you. So he, he gives Jeremiah this encouragement, and Jeremiah goes, I can't do it. I'm not good at speaking, and I'm too young. And God goes, stop looking at yourself. I will take over. And he changes his perspective, brings him back and says, don't say you're too young. Instead, look at me. And here's, if, I, if you got anything out of last week, I hope you got this, is that when we question our creator's calling on us, we're, cre- we're questioning our creator. When you question the creation, you're questioning the creator. So, so we, we walk through all that. We ended at the end of it. He says, then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth. You need a God encounter. Then, this is what God says to him. This is where we pick up this week. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. It says, and God said to him, look, I put my words in your mouth. Today, I point you to stand up against the nations and kingdoms. So now he's telling him who, he's speaking, who Jeremiah is going to speak to. And what I'm trying to do is... As I'm reading, or as I'm circling and underlining and all that, I'm, I'm taking from what I've done and study and putting it in front of you. So it, you may want to actually start bringing one of these old-fashioned, these black and white things that have, like, like ink on it, because it just might, you can just follow along just that way. So today, I appoint you to the nations and the kingdoms. So it's not, he's not just appointed to just Judah. He's appointing him to the, ki- the kingdom surrounding it. You'll, you'll see more of that in just a second. He says, uh, some of those you must uproot, some you must tear down, some you will destroy and overthrow. 
So I would call those all negatives, right? And the majority of, of his, Jeremiah's book is primarily negative. But then he says, but others you will build up and you will plant. So there's going to be those that you, you're going you're gonna, to, and he's not doing it literally, but he's speaking it for God, what's going to happen to these nations. Some you're going to see they're going to be uprooted, they're going to be torn down, some are going to be destroyed, some are going to be overthrown, but some will be planted and built up. You'll, you'll, you'll see in just a, as we walk through Jeremiah what he means by that. It says, then the Lord reached out. Uh, sorry, I'll keep, skip that again. And then the Lord said to me, look, Jeremiah, what do you see? What, what, are, you, what are you seeing? So he's giving him a vision. So what he's doing, he's confirming the prophecy uh, or the calling as a prophet, and he's giving him a prophecy. So he says, hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see a branch of an almond tree. Now, I don't have a lot of time, but this is a unique thing that, that God is doing here. He says, the Lord said to him, that's right, it means I am watching, and I will certainly carry out my plans. So he just used, in Hebrew, he used the word uh, almond tree as S-H-A-Q-E-D, shack ed. So it's like the education of shack, which wasn't much. Um, <laughs> if shack happens to watch this, which I highly doubt, I, no offense, seriously. <laughs> Get my but he's bigger than me. Uh, and then the word, uh, the word for watching is S H O Q E D. So uh, th- here is that uh, he says that Shakud Shakad or Shakad Shakud, however you want to pronounce these. He's saying to them, "Listen, I want you to know I've been I've seen what you're doing, and you're not getting away with it." You think just because Israel's been taken away and the Syrian army conquered them, but I spared you, that you're not going to have to answer to your sins? You're wrong. I've been watching you from the very beginning. And the almond is actually, uh, so February 2nd, what's February 2nd for us? Groundhog Day. We, ce- we celebrate Groundhog Day because that's when the groundhog come out of their hole, right? Paxacani Field, Paxacani, what was his name? Comes out of his, out of his little hole. Yeah, that guy. So... He comes out of his hole and he looks around. If he sees a shadow, there's going to be more win- winter. If he doesn't see the shadow, there's going to be more winter. <laughs> it's, uh, and he says, that, and, but that's a sign that spring is coming, right? That's the same with the almond b- uh, bloom in uh, Israel, is that it would be the first of the flowers of the blooms that would come to represent that spring is on its way. It's just about to come. And so he's saying, hey, I've got, there's a transition coming up, and I've been watching and I want you to know, you're going to have to answer for what you, what, what you guys have been doing. Then he said, continues, says, then the Lord spoke to me again and asked, what do you see now? And I replied, I see a pot of boiling water spilling from the north. And yes, the Lord said, for tear from the north will boil out on the people of this land. Listen, I am calling the armies of the kingdoms of the north to come to Jerusalem. I, the Lord, have spoken. What's he, what's he prophesying? Babylon coming in, and they're going to conquer Jerusalem. So he, he says, th- this is all coming, and now he calls into action. He says, get up and prepare for action. Go out and tell, tell them everything I tell you to say. Don't be afraid of them, for I will make you, fo- make you look foolish in front of them, uh, or I will make you look foolish in front of them. For see, today I have made you strong like a fortified city that cannot be captured, an iron pillar or a bronze wall, three 
specific things that he says. I will make you like a fortified city that cannot be captured, an iron pillar or a bronze wall. All these things are representation of strong pieces of equipment that are going to keep the enemy out. I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you this protection. It says, you will stand against the whole land, uh, uh, against the whole land, the kings, officials, priests, and the people of Judah. They will fight you, but they will fail. For I am with you, and I will take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Anytime God gives a great amount of strength, it's because you're going to face some great battles. Great strength means great battles. And he's saying, hey, you don't need to be fearful. I'm coming alongside you. Then he goes, uh, so that, that, there, he, as he, so he finishes out the call. Now, I created a little graph for you guys. Um, Pierce, you want to throw that up for me? Uh, here, here's the graph that uh, we created that, uh, just to lay out an outline of the book. And I, you may be able, hard to be able to see these ones, but um, on here, you can see the last week and what we just went through is the first chapter of the, called the prophet's call. Then there's a transition where he lays out why he's being called. And so basically he's going to have uh, the, all the list of things that the Israel, or Judah is doing wrong. And then he goes into the second part in chapter 5 through 20, which we're going to get into today. He t- gets into the messages. So this is what God is speaking through Jeremiah to the nation of Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. Then the third part is where they go into uh, captivity. So they go into captivity and how God speaks to them and how they're supposed to operate in captivity. And then the third part is the remnant. And he's speaking to the people who were left behind. So during that deportation, he was moving out all the smart people, all the people with an education get taken to Babylon. All those left behind, how are they supposed to operate? By the way, one left behind, Jeremiah. How are they supposed to operate when everything valuable to them has been taken from them? So we're going we're gonna to walk through these. And th- during this period, these are all prophecies against Judah and the city of Jerusalem. He's laying this out. Now, just so you understand, Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. If you read it from the beginning to the end, you're not going to be able to follow it. You're going to have to constantly go, okay, who's the king? Why, where, where are we at here? Where are we at in, this, in the picture of, of, of history? And the reason is, is uh, Jeremiah in chapter 36 and 37 says how the book was put together. His secretary, Baruch, took the writings of Jeremiah and laid them out and brought them all together and put together the book of the letter of Jeremiah. So all these pieces are put together and given to us uh, from the writings that Baruch, Baruch collected and, and put together. So we see he lays them out, and then uh, these, but he does it in a specific order. The, thir- the fourth, th- fifth thing is that it's a prophecy against other nations. Chapters 46 through 51. So God specifically says, hey, I'm going to use Babylon to come in and teach you guys a lesson. I'm judging you by using Babylon. But then he turns around and judges Babylon. Because just because God uses somebody does not mean he approves them. As a good, write that down. Just because God uses somebody does not mean he approves of them. Then the last piece is the bonus clip or the glimmer of hope. Now, how many of you watch Avengers movies? If you're a true Avenger fan, if you're a true Marvel fan, you know what do you need to do when the movie's over and the clips, uh, the credits start rolling? 
you stay in your seat, okay? Because at the end of all the credits, if you didn't know this, you're not a true Marvel fan. I'm just letting you know. You stay in your seat because at the very end, after the credits have rolled, they're gonna give you a little picture of what the next movie's gonna be, just a glimmer. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does. At the very end of his book, he lays out these little extra pieces and he kind of throws some credits in there and then he throws this little glimmer of what's to come, what's coming up. And so that's the way that Jeremiah is, is laid out for you. So you have all that and, uh, and I, I wanted you to have a, a basis, a foundation of how we're moving through the book of Jeremiah. So we are now jumping into chapter two where it says, so we transition right away from, there's your call, here's, I'm giving you evidence that you're, you're called, now, here we go, these are the, uh, these are the reason why I'm, I'm going to have to speak to the, uh, to the people of Israel. He gave me another message, and he said, go shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me. And follow me, even though the bar- even through the barren wilderness. This is a theme that God uses through Jeremiah for the rest of the book. This theme as the bride. He says, I knew how you were. So God made a covenant vow with the nation of Israel. And so when you're reading the Bible and you hear him say, you are my bride. He's not referencing to a literal bride, he's referencing to the nation that we are in a covenant relationship with each other. I will hold up my end of the deal no matter what. Now you need to hold up your end. I'm going to be there for you. I am your husband. I'm going to provide for you. I will be there for you in every way that you can think possible. And now you need to be there for me and be faithful to me. And he says, I remember how you were when we first got married. I remember how we were in that honeymoon stage and everything was great and you loved what I was doing for you. It says, uh, um, for my people, going down to verse 13, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So he says, okay, I remember how you guys acted, but you're not acting that way anymore. In fact, you haven't acted that way for a really long time. And he identifies the two things that they've done. They have abandoned him, and he is the fountain of living water. And what have they done instead? They've dug for themselves cracked cisterns. Now, there's, there's three ways to get uh, water in Israel. One is to dig a well. It's a lot of work and really hard. You dig till you get to the, uh, a river that's flowing under the ground. It's a lot of work, and you can read in the, uh, in the Abraham does it, and uh, there's several times where the, the nation is, has to go in, and they dig these wells, and it's a lot of work, and it's really hard. Or you can build a cistern, and what they do is they carve out in a cave along the side of a, uh, of a cliff, a cave, and they'll channel water as it rains into these cisterns, and they'll collect the rainwater, and they cover it, and they'll go back to that water to get it. Now, you can imagine collected rainwater is a little stagnant. It's not quite what you want, right? Or you can have streamed water that's streaming. So streams, springs, rivers, and God's saying those give life. That's what, and that's an image that he uses over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible, that living water is coming from God. 
So he says, I, I, you guys have abandoned, left the, the, what was giving you life, and instead, you went and dug cisterns, and they don't even hold water. In other words, he's saying, hey guys, you left what was provided for you, where you needed to trust me, where I, was, I said I'd give you everything you needed. I would provide for you every single day. You left that, and instead, you substituted it for your own work. You went and said, hey, God said, I'll, I'll give you everything you need, and I'll, I'll have things flowing into your life as you need it. I'll provide it. But instead, you said, I can't trust you, so I'm going to go to my own works, my own things. I went from relationship to religion. Now, religion isn't wrong. Religion by itself are just actions that demonstrate my relationship. But when all you have is works and you abandon your relationship, you're doing your own thing. And God says, that doesn't hold water. You left the daily relationship with me and substituted it for one day a week. He says that you, you've done wrong. These are the two things. You've abandoned me and you substituted it with something that doesn't hold water. Then he jumps down to verse 33. He says, how you plot and scheme to win your lovers. Even an experienced prostitute could learn from you. Yeah, I just read that, and yes, it's in the Bible. I mean, you want to talk about, like, God knows how to insult. That's like a low blow. You, you guys have worked so hard at scheming and trying to get away with having a relationship with me and having a relationship with the world and trying to do it two ways that you guys have worked so hard at it that even experienced prostitutes could learn a lesson from you. It says, if your clothing is stained with the blood of the innocent and poor, Though you didn't catch them breaking into your houses, and yet you say, I've done nothing wrong, surely God isn't angry with me. Here's what you have to understand. Jeremiah is saying, guys, you're broken, but you're pretending like you're innocent. You're broken, but you're pretending like you're innocent. This is what, this is what we do. We do this in our relationship with God, is that we say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I've sinned. I, I've done some bad things, but it's not really bad. I've done things that I shouldn't have done, but it's not, I mean, it's not really that bad. I mean, I've never killed anybody. I, 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 haven't, I haven't gone and, and gone on a murder spree. and I haven't, I haven't really done anything that's, like, extreme. I, I, I'm okay. And we think that God's going to somehow put a balance in, in heaven and it's going to be all these like really, really evil things and then the bad things are just, yeah, they can go away. They're not that really that. I'm, I'm really not that bad. And the, the truth is, and this is what you have to understand, we live in brokenness. We live in brokenness. Heaven, fullness, shalom comes at the end. We're not at the end. We live in brokenness. And when we pretend, like, well, I'm not really not that bad. I don't really know if I need a savior fully. What we're doing is we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to God. So he says, hey, guys, you got, you got this. Uh, you got to understand. So he, the theme of chapter two is that, hey, you guys are, are sinful and you got some issues and you got to realize you got issues and you're not hiding them. 
Chapter 3. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you been seen the fickle Israel, what, what fickle Israel has done? That nation up north that just got destroyed by the Assyrians? Uh, like a wife who commits adultery, Israel has worshipped other gods on every hill under every green tree. So we have some time, uh, there's time frame here. He says King Josiah. So we're going to talk a lot about him next week. Because he does a reform of the nation of Judah and spares Judah for some time. But during that same period, he's saying, hey, guys, you've seen what fickle Israel's done. They've worshipped every every god on every hill and every green tree. So what would they, the way they worship false gods is they would, any type of hill that was clear, they would set up an idol there. And that's where they would worship. Or they would come underneath a tree and they would set up altars underneath that so they could worship their false gods. And he's saying, Israel's done it, every, every hill and every tree, practically, he's, he's exaggerating, but he's like, they, they've gone to extreme, extreme points. Then he says, I thought, after she had done this, speaking of Israel, she will return to me, but she did not return to me. And her faithless sister, Judah, saw this. I want you to hear this. God was, was and is hoping for return. God was and is hoping for for return. She saw that I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery, but that treacherous sister Judah had no fear, and now she too has left me and given herself to prostitution. Israel treated it all so lightly. She thought nothing, nothing of committing adultery by worshiping idols made of wood and stone. So now the land has been polluted. It's been destroyed by, Assyrian, by the Assyrian Empire. But despite all this, her faithless sister Judah has never sincerely returned to me. She's only pretended to be sorry. Ooh. How how many, I have, with kids, this is like one of those, like you catch them in the middle of them doing something bad and they start to cry. Are they crying for the thing they did bad or for the fact that they got caught doing something bad? They're crying because they got caught, not because they're sorry for what they did. Now, sometimes there's true remorse. But majority of the time, they're just, oh, crud, I'm going to get disciplined. And this is what God's calling out Israel for. You guys are pretending like you're, oh, oh, God, we're, we're, we're sorry. Uh, Judah, uh, Josiah has found the book of the law. We'll get into this next week. And now we're going to reform. We're going to remove all the idols. All the public idols were, were torn down during the time of Josiah. But at the same time, archaeologists, uh, archaeologists have found that the, all, when all the public idols were torn down, they found a new thing called house gods. Now, they weren't new, but there was a sudden increase in the use of them during the time of Josiah. They just moved what was public behind closed doors. They went from having the porn shop to the internet. Well, I, no one's seeing me doing it, so it must be okay. Because said, God, I'm watching what you've been doing. I've seen your hypocrisy. I know what you're doing, and you will pay for your sins. There will be consequences. But this is what he says in verse 22. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me. And I will heal you. I will heal your wayward hearts. God has done everything to take care of their sin. He just wants them to repent. That's it. I've done everything. I'll clear the way. If you just come back to me, 
I'll, I'll pretend like it never happened. I'll wash it all away. Just as Jesus Christ says, hey, I will pay for all your sins, everything you've ever done, every sin, every wrongdoing, everything you've ever done, I'll pretend like it never existed. I'll wash it away with my blood. If you'll just turn back to me. They don't. That's why he goes into chapter four. He says, oh, Israel, says the Lord, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. But you won't. You haven't. So he tells Jeremiah in verse 16, he says, warn the surrounding nations and announce this to Jerusalem. The enemy is coming from a distant land, raising a battle cry against the towns of Judah. Babylon's coming. And they will surround Jerusalem like watchmen around a field. For my people have rebelled against me, says the Lord. Your own actions have brought this upon you. This punishment is bitter and piercing to the heart. God says there will be a judgment. There will be consequences for your sin. You will pay for what you've done. You've been an unfaithful bride. And I cannot let it continue. And here's what Jeremiah does. My heart... My heart, I writhe in pain. My heart pounds within me. I cannot be still. Jeremiah hears the judgment against his nation. And instead of going, na 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 boo boo, look, I told you guys, <laughs> you're all going to hell. He says, My heart breaks. My heart is broken because you guys aren't asking to come back to God. My heart is broken, and this is a detriment of the church in America, is that we have not gone, you're going to hell, with tears in our eyes. Instead, we're holding placards going, you're going to hell. Listen, if you're gonna have something hard to say, it better be really hard to say it. If you're gonna speak words of judgment and you're gonna tell somebody, hey, you're going down the wrong path, make sure you do it in such a way that your heart breaks for that person. And as you're speaking to them saying, hey, you're going down the wrong path, you better say it in a way that your heart is mourning with for them and that you're, you're crying out to God for them. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he weeps for his situation and he weeps for his nation. In, verse, in chapter 5, it says, even, yet even those days, I, I will blot out your completely, you completely, says the Lord. And when your people ask, why did the Lord our God do all this to us, this to us? You must reply, you rejected him and gave yourself to the foreign gods in your own land. Now you will serve foreign, foreigners in a land that is not your own. H have you ever, I, I love to watch ridiculousness. One of the, like, I love watching people hurt themselves. I get joy out of other people's pain, okay? I don't know them. <laughs> I know, there's probably an, an issue with that. But one of the ones that I just totally, like, baffle me is I'll, I'll just say, I'll say one word, and immediately you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Exercise ball. How many videos are there of two people taking the exercise balls and running at each other. How many times do you have to see the videos to know there's only two results that happen? One is one person is bigger than the other and the other person goes flying, ends up on their back going, 
or bam, heads collide. There's only two results. This is what God's saying to Israel. Guys, you're asking me, why am I doing this to you? You knew the consequences. This has been happening since the day you walked into the promised land. You've been going, oh, we'll follow God. He's awesome, and he's so good to us. Oh, but these other gods look really nice. We fall on our face. God picks us back up, and we go back about for about 40 years, and then back on our face again, over and over and over. The judges, that's the cycle of the judges. You get to the kings, it's the cycle of the kings. You get, uh, the, the prophets are constantly going, guys, stay focused on him. Return to God. But you did it again. Why are you surprised by the consequence? Chapter 6 is a, is a stump speech for Jeremiah. How many of you are watching the politics right now and politicians get up and they do their speech? And it's basically the same speech over and over and over again. They, they change minor pieces of it, right? Like if they're in a manufacturing, they put a hat, hard hat on and they'll, they'll do the same speech, but they, they change the beginning of it. If they if they're happen to be in Iowa, they'll stand in front of a, a silo. and you know, It's the same speech, though, over and over and over. This is what Jeremiah does in chapter 6. It's the same speech. Guys, you need, God's judgment's coming. Please repent. You're not going to repent. Please repent. You're not going to repent. God's judgment's coming. Until we get to chapter 7. And chapter 7 is where I want to land today, and this is where I'm going to close out. Chapter 7, verse 1, says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. He goes to the doorway of the church. It says, hey, all you going to church, this is what the temple would look like. Somewhere on this property of Solomon's temple, he would have been calling out. Listen here, all you churchgoers. All you guys going into that there to worship, got something to say you, to you. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. Guys, I just want you to come back to me. Just come back to me. I love you. You are my bride. I don't care how much you've cheated on me. I want you back. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the, of the Lord, because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. Can I could it, put it in modern day language? Hey, this is a Christian nation. One nation under God. We're, we're, we're Christians. Look around. We got churches on every corner. We got churches on every corner. We're good to go. God wouldn't judge us. Right? Right? We're, 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 we're good. We're good. He says, don't trust that. He says, they chant the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. Only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in the land that I gave your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. 
he just said to them, what they do on the outside of the temple matters just as much as they do on the inside of the temple. What you do on the outside of the temple matters just as much as in the inside. In verse nine, he says, do you really think that you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, burn incense to Baal, and all those other new gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me and my temple and chant, we are safe, only, the right, only to go right back out to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely, I see all the evil going on here. I, the Lord, have spoken. Guys, I've been watching. I've been watching what you're doing, and I realize that you show up to here with your, all, your, your sacrifices and your worship, but that's not what you're doing out there. So if you're not doing out there, don't do it here. Don't, don't trade a relationship for a practice. In verse 22, 21, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, as a result of this, take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. In other words, take your sacrifices and shove them down your own throat, because I don't want them. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them, this is what I told them, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything as I say and all will be well. See, worship means nothing without obedience. Practice, what we do today is pointless if we don't show up for game day. says, my, my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following their stubborn desires their evil, of their evil hearts, and they went backward instead of forward. Their response to being called out is defensiveness. So there's three ways that we can respond today. You can go, man, that's me. I need to turn back to God. Or we can go, hmm, not really that bad. I don't really need that. Defensiveness, remorse. You're like, oh man, I really shouldn't have done that. But then go back out and do it again. See, remorse doesn't mean anything if you don't have repentance. So today, there's an opportunity for us to repent. And this is something I repent daily more than I want to admit. But I haven't been good at act publicly repenting. I'm saying, hey, I need to turn away from these cisterns. I've been doing this on my own. I've been trying to manufacture and produce out of something I've created myself. And God's going, come back to me. I've got living water for you. Stop working so hard trying to figure it out yourself and turn back to me. And that's my call to you today is, will we turn from trying to do it our own way, trying to figure out which politician will best fix our situation. It's not going to hold water. Stop trying to figure out how I can ha manage my money in such a way that I'll be secure for the rest of my life because it's not going to hold water. Stop figuring out how if I just get the next job promotion or if I just get the right education, then I'll give it all. That, all those are good things. They're not evil. But if you don't have a relationship, it's worthless. Today, 
Let's repent. Let's turn back to him. If this is your first time having the opportunity to repent, I, I wanna walk you through that. It's a very simple moment. It's a simple prayer of turning back to Jesus. That's all it is. You say, God, you died on the cross for my sins. I'm turning back to you. You died for me. You paid for my sins. All you want is my repentance. I'm turning to you. For those of us that need to, a renewal, you, you know the steps we need to take. It's just simply saying, hey, I've gotten distracted. Turn it back to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for paying the price for our sins, for our faults. Thank you for going to the cross and covering every sin. And the only thing you ask is for our repentance to turn to you. And this morning we make that commitment. We turn to you. We're gonna follow after you. You went to the cross for our sins. You died on that cross so they could receive this gift of salvation. And today, we determine to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.